Hello and welcome to the first Port podcast. I'm Matt Willey, co-publisher and senior editor at Port magazine. Each month we will be producing a series of short pieces, documentaries and sounds that interest us and that carry on a thought or a theme from the magazine. We're launching this first episode to coincide with our film issue and we begin with a feature about the absence of sound. Paul Davies is an acclaimed sound designer and editor who has worked on Steve McQueen's Hunger and Lynn Ramsey's We Need to Talk About Kevin. He talked to us about the tension he creates in his films using near silence, room tones and drones. But first, we live in a world that is clamouring for our attention. From the moment we wake in the morning, we are bombarded by noise. The traffic rushing past on the street, the dull buzz of our computers, the hum of the coffee machine. It's this cacophony of sound that led writer George Mickelson Foy on a journey in search of the acoustic dream, absolute silence. I was taking my kids uh, to school, standing in the subway, and four trains came in simultaneously at this particular stop. Even one train in New York is equivalent of a chainsaw being held at arm's length in terms of decibels. I felt as if I was being assaulted, as a form of shock, panic, rage to some extent. And I fled. In fact, I I ended up moving my family out of New York. What is silence? Does silence really exist anymore? And if so, what would an absolute silence be like? If there was a success in terms of my search for absolute silence, it was in an anechoic chamber, which was a, which is a soundproof chamber, thickly, thickly insulated. I loved it. I mean, it was like balm to my being. It felt like the most wonderful sort of soothing experience I could possibly have. And then, of course, I brought my own sounds with me. And they were the sounds of my breathing. Uh, they were the sounds of my pulse. I could actually hear blood circulating in my veins. I could hear my scalp rubbing over my skull as I, every time I frowned. I mean, that's how silent it was. Essentially, we're all storytellers. And as a storyteller, you want to cut yourself off from previous stories when you start your own. When you tell a joke, you, you wait for a... And usually there's a silence that you use in there. And you see that in cinema associated with scenes of, of death, of destruction, of panic. A gun is fired and in slow motion, You'll see the bullet travel, and you're just waiting for the moment of impact and, and the horror. And also, again, the, the breaking of normal rhythms. The only form of absolute silence that we'll ever know, unfortunately, is death. It's, that's the only time when our bodies won't make noise. It turns us away from what we're supposed to be saying, to some extent what we're conditioned to say, to our, our conditioning to always be saying something, to be imparting some kind of message. But silence turns us away from that, and in so doing, it allows all the other stuff to come out. And the other stuff is, is huge. I mean, you can define it as subconscious. You can define it as part of the 11 million discrete units of information that are coming in through our senses every second, of which we retain one consciously. I mean, we look at the screen and we see a horse in a desert. Every filmgoer sees something different because there's millions and millions of associations that are made simply from those images on the screen. And when a director uses silence and invokes silence, we have to concentrate on all the other 
information that's coming to us, the visuals, from the way the actors are holding themselves or moving, also from the associations that we're making in our own mind. And that is how we create a whole story in our heads, even as we're looking at the film. And that's why silence can be so useful to a director, because it, it brings out the emotions. It's like a crack. It's a crack in the conscious that allows the emotions to come through. Music is not just someone sitting playing piano and violin or guitar. Sound composition itself is music. My name is Paul Davis. I work as a supervising sound editor and sound designer. Films I've worked on include We Need to Talk About Kevin by Lynn Ramsey, The Queen by Stephen Frears, and Hunger by Steve McQueen. first met Lynn Ramsey at the National Film School. I was actually graduated and was working within the sound department. First time I worked with Lynn Ramsey was on A Rat Catcher, her first feature film. That was in 1999. Ah! For God's sake, look at it, in I think the fundamental thing I was aware of that film was that Lynn didn't want to use much scored music. I somehow felt we're going to have to score this with sound coming from the natural environment. I got you on huh? Some films, we see a dog, we hear a dog, we car goes past, we hear that. From working on a Lynn Ramsey film, well, everything's up for grabs, really. She had a different aesthetic, which is I would call a stripped-down aesthetic, where you would have one or two sounds at a time, you wouldn't have this multi-layered approach, and you would foreground one sound at a time. And the critical scene, opening scene, where the boy drowns, which triggers the whole rest of the film, and the guilt in James, the main principal character. Of course, at the moment, we, everything's pulled out and we go to silence. We live in a very noisy world as well, an urbanised world, so I think when we encounter silence, it can seem very disturbing, it can seem to be empty. So through my work with her, I think I learnt about subtlety and silence and how to utilise it. Because I wasn't a musician, I wasn't very musically capable and very much influenced by the works of you know, Brian Eno's work and then other sort of electronic you know, cabaret Voltaire. Somehow the work of Eno and Cage sort of validated what I was doing. I think down the line I was more interested in creating sound than actually making music. If I have a fundamental influence, it's the work of Alan Splett and a razor head. And I remember going to film school on the back of this, and I want to be like Alan Splett. That was my ambition. Drones and slowed down industrial sounds. Alan Splett and his wife, Anne Krober, evolved the technique of using contact mics on a, a heating pipe or a, a piece of industrial equipment and record what they regarded as the interior true sounds of these items and then would slow them down. We'd have these sort of distant industrial sounds which were sort of denatured. And I remember standing up and saying, I want to be a sound designer, and being absolutely torn apart by the tutorial staff at the time. <laughs> 
And I think that there was a view that sound was a technical process, at best a craft, but certainly not part of the art of filmmaking. You know, my involvement with, people, with directors such as Lynn Ramsey and uh, Steve McQueen is that I feel I'm, I'm contributing as well to the creative process. Can you say mommy? Ma, me, mommy, Kevin? Can you say ball, ball, ba, 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 ba. ball? Oh, no? Okay. I'm gonna throw it to you. You're gonna roll it back to me. Okay. It's, just, it's just like composing music. So we have higher notes and lower notes. We have the higher and perhaps rawer, raspier sound of that refrigerator. And then we have an air con sound. And room tone traditionally perhaps is thought in film sound as, as almost something like a polyfiller. But to use room tone in a creative way, to create an atmosphere, an unsettling atmosphere, I think is, I think is actually quite an interesting approach. In a film, they will be buried and be subliminal. So they're all sounds of quiet. <laughs> but then they mix in such a way that they become just almost different tones in the background. But they're the bed, the glue, which the rest, the dialogue, the folding moves are based upon. Roll it back to mommy. Roll it back, oh, roll it back to mommy. For me, I emphasize the, the antiseptic the nature of that house, that it was not the opposite of being domestic, cosy domesticity. And, you know, Eva hates that house. We opened the film with the, what's now become quite a well-known sound, the sprinkler sound. Later on, almost at the end, the sound resolves itself. This is a scene where Eva returns to the house and we hear the, the low frequency ventilation, then go through to sprinkler sound itself and we hear the change in rhythm of that as well, which creates an intensity. So now we're just hearing the uh, sound of the room tone, the ventilation sound, there's a the sound of the sprinkler, which I've, just, which I've edited to change rhythm as well. So there's a, there's a change within the sprinkler sound effect, there's a change of rhythm which is coming up. It almost provides a musical accompaniment in itself. Then there's an awful realisation of what the significance is by withholding resolution of the source of the sound. I think we can never have enough of different sorts of quiet. I've got a terabyte sound library and a good proportion of that is room tones or very quiet backgrounds. On Hunger, Steve McQueen, the director, was looking for something very different from a typical prison movie and wanted to create a very specific sound world which was very intense. Go from quiet and foreground sounds such as foley, foley movements and clothes movements, and breaths. Breaths are, breaths are going to be particularly important within this film. People who have seen the film will know there's actually not much dialogue in most of the film, apart from one famous 22-minute scene where there is it's all dialogue. And 
and we got the actors in to record breaths. So I felt the breaths could be used in a way of drawing us closer into the characters. And so Michael Fassbender in particular, the main actor who played Bobby Sands in the film, came in and I think he spent half a day recording breaths. But the variations intensity of the breath changes, and particularly it comes into itself, that whole end section of Michael in the hospital to the point of death, Bobby Sands' death, is pretty much all ADR breaths. We were going to be creating the mood through recording, using Foley and post-sync breaths. And I think the whole scene of Bobby dying, then the flashback to the memory of running through the forest and the birds flying up and then coming back in the last dying breath, I think is, for me, that's, it. that's one of the most effective pieces of film I've been involved with. 